Hey friends, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. In this show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the game, I'm running the campaign adventure Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help support shows like this, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and signing up. If you do, you get access to all kinds of exclusive previews of upcoming, of upcoming stuff. You also get exclusive videos, exclusive adventures, all kinds of different things that you get. But most of all, you help me keep the lights on when we're doing shows like this. What else do I want to say? I guess that's it. So, I am finally out of chapter one. It has been like 20 sessions of chapter one. Chapter one is way too big. This Monday, as of this recording, this Monday, I am putting out my chapter one Rhyme of the Frostmaiden guide, which offers suggestions about what to do when you're running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. What are the main things that I took away from, from running chapter one? First, begin in Bryn Shander. Start in Bryn Shander. It's a great place to start the campaign. And it's the probably one of the few first level quests that works really well is the Foaming Mugs quest in Bryn Shander. So I would start with that. Number two, look through, there are, there are like 13 quests and even a couple of small sub quests that exist in chapter one. And yet your players are really only going to play like four of them. So instead of throwing 13 quests out there, look at the quests that exist and choose probably six or so that you actually want to put in front of the characters. And then once they've completed like three or four of them, then move along, right? So clear out quests. Once the players have declined a quest twice, take it off the list. And that way they're only doing the quest that they're interested in and they will get to fourth level or fifth level before getting to chapter two and you won't spend 20 sessions getting through one chapter of the book. And the other one is take away, move the drivers of the sacrifices to Oral from the town speakers to the cult of Oral. Create, I, I created a cult called the Children of Oral that exists in 10 towns. And they're a growing cult that, that the citizens of 10 towns are starting to flock to because they want answers for this thing. And they're, the, the, the children of Oral are the ones demanding the sacrifices. That way, the players have a clear antagonist responsible for conducting these sacrifices that aren't the town speakers who the characters might end up working for. Because it's very easy for the players to say, why on earth would we support this town speakers who are murdering their own citizens for no reason at all, right? Instead, it's a lot easier to say, well, the children of Oral are doing it and the people are doing it because they believe the children of Oral and now you have a cool antagonist. So those are my four big tips for running chapter for running chapter one. But now we are in chapter two and chapter two, I'm, I'm running. Chapter two is interesting as well. Oh, this whole book is interesting, right? And it's, I just banged the mic. It's interesting in the way that it takes a lot of work for the DM to wrangle this adventure together into something that plays well at the table. That's my assessment and my experience, having run it, right? Having running it now and having run it. And where chapter one had just too much material, right? Too many quests, too much stuff for the characters to do, given that they were only going to be going through first, second, third level, Right, it's way too much material for first, second, third level. It kind of sucks that official published material requires so much work. Yes, it does. It sucks. 
And this is not the only one that has. Where chapter one required you to really trim down the material that's in it to get it to fit the level ranges that the characters are going to be. Because if not, you're just going to overwhelm yourself and you're going to overwhelm your players. The problem with chapter two is that it's a loose list of locations that don't have any real ties together or any ties to the rest of the adventure. You have to bring those ties to it. And so, so the players can certainly learn about these locations and they, and from what they learn, they might go to them. Instead, what I've done is I've started like moving the MacGuffins around, right? Moving the keys. So if you think about the fact that the way adventures typically run is that the characters go to places to pick up keys and a key is basically, I'm using that term loosely, a key is anything that then propels them to the next part of the adventure, right? It's, it, it might be a hook. It could be, but a, a key is oftentimes a physical thing. And we'll talk about what kind of physical things we might put in this chapter. Uh, a, a, a key could be information, a location, like where is the, where are the, what's the, the caves of hunger, right? If the caves of hunger are what lead down to the, to the Nethery city of Yethrin, where are the caves of hunger? And the location of the caves of hunger is in fact a key, Right. And another key might be, what if the caves, of hunger, uh, the caves of hunger are frozen over? So you can't, even if you know where they are, you can't get in because they're frozen over with like miles of glacier, right? You could sit there for a year trying to melt the wall and you'll never make, you know, you'll, you won't make much progress. You need a power to do it. And what if that power is a horn of blasting that is sitting at the giant thrones of Jarlmut, right? That horn is now a key. So you need two keys to get into the uh, Caves of Hunger. You need its location, where is it? And you need uh, the key to break open the door, which is the, the circlet of blasting that's in it. So the, the adventure, chapter two doesn't have these keys in it. It's, there's no association of a location and information at that location leading to another location, leading on to the further part of the story. Instead, they're just sort of there. Yeah, there's a place called Revel's End. Yeah, there's a arcane member of the Arcane Brotherhood who's who's in prison there, who wants to get out. But so what, right? Why would the players get involved in that at all? Now, a key might be this guy, Valish Gant is the name of this arcane brother, right? Valish Gant might have information that the players desperately want. And the characters might have to go and visit Valish Gant and try to convince him to give this, you might have to convince him to give up this information and he might want something like, get me the hell out of here, right? So that is a key, right? Valish, you need to go to Revel's End. You need to talk to Valish Gant in order to learn more about what's going on. And you have to get whatever Valish Gant gets. Those, those are keys, right? They're keys and, and they're ways to get the keys. So when I'm running chapter two, what I've decided to do is, is figure out like which ones of these locations lead to the others. What's the web work that exists? So, and then, and some of those aren't based just on the story of the, of the, of the game that could be based on the story of the characters. So an example could be that one of the characters has a mind flayer symbiote in their head and it's going to turn them into a mind flayer unless they do something about it. The only place they can do that is the it ascendant, a crashed mind flayer nautiloid ship. The they go to the nautiloid ship. They find out that the ship, which is actually kind of an organic being has is is very is wounded right has crashed and is broken and part of the ship the heart of the the heart of the descendant was stolen by jerk and the, the gnolls are hanging out in the cackling chasm 
So they know about the cackling chasm. They know they have to go to the cackling chasm to get the heart of the it ascendant. They bring the heart back to the it ascendant. The it ascendant repairs itself. It can now then remove the mind flayer symbiote or deal with the mind flayer symbiote inside of the character. And that quest line is done. Very minor, like two locations, it ascendant and cackling chasm with a quest and a key, right? Quest is we want to get the thing out of their head. That leads to the next quest, which is get back the heart of the it ascendant. They go, they get the heart, they come back, to, they complete, they get, they fix the it ascendant and they get the thing out of the head. Linear path, not tied to the rest of it, but at least ties two locations together that exist in chapter two. So you kind of have to do this for all of the quests in chapter two. And I will, as we're playing through this, I'm going to talk about what keys, and you'll see it, we, we drop them in as secrets and clues, right? And you can see where I move a key. I'll give you another example of a key. The characters find out that there is a hidden island in the Sea of Moving Ice that has a castle on it called Grimskull, and a, a castle that used to belong to frost giants, a frost giant queen, right? And they've learned that, then they might learn from some other source that the Codicil of the White, the book that Oral has used to create a ritual to create the Endless Night, is in Grimskull. And they, if they want to stop the Endless Night, they need to get the Codicil of the White. They know that the island is hidden and there's only one creature, Andruk, I'm gonna call it Andruk. There's only one creature that knows how to get there. It's a creature named Andruk. And you can only talk to Andruk if you ring the bell of Andruk right on the edge of the sea of moving ice. But the bell is gone. That bell is not there. There's a scaffold where the bell should be, but a bunch of jerk pirates stole the bell and took it to a frozen pirate ship. So now, the character's gonna learn, oh, there's a frozen pirate ship. The frozen pirate ship has the bell. I pick up the bell. I ring the bell. The bell gets me Andruk. Andruk takes me to Grimskull. I go to Grimskull. I get the code of Cell of the White. So now you go bang, 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 right? And it leads to fun things because then you go, I think the Dark Duchess is the name of the pirate ship. And the Dark Duchess is actually the treasure hoard of an ancient white dragon. So now you've got like, how do I convince the ancient white dragon to give me the bell so I can ring the bell so the other creature will take me to Grimskull so I can get the code of Cell of the White, right? Those are sort of the chain of events and the chain of keys and the chain of information you still have to learn all this right so you have to know about anjuk the anjuk or whatever it's called the, the it's, a, it's a whale you have to learn about the creature that can take them you have to learn about all these places and those are all keys right and how do they learn those and those might be secrets and clues that they pick up anywhere but the keys are the things that time together so there's a way when we're running chapter two you can i you know you can do what i'm doing which is I look at all of the locations that are there. I decide which ones I think are cool. I tie them together with quests and keys. And then I throw all that in front of the players and they choose which way they want to go and they navigate through them and they get to see all this stuff. And I, th I think that is how I'm doing it. So we're going to talk about the first one today. The characters. So one of the characters, here is our Rhyme of the Frost Maiden Notion notebook. Those of you on Twitch, let's do dang Notion. Bang. You can learn all about how I use Notion for campaign building. For those of you watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast, in the show notes below, you can see a link to my Notion notebook for this game and learn how I use it and how I set it all up. So the first thing I need to do is generate a new session planning template. So we will do that. Click that and create a new... This is my new notes for today. Today is 11 July 2021, Sunday, Frost Maiden. And we look at the characters. I don't think anybody is out today. I think we might have everybody. So we have Ilda. Ilda is a half Goliath barbarian who is it's got some kind of connection to Thrun, some kind of connection to Oral. Her dad might be Thrun or it might be a Goliath. It might be Auken's father. She's probably the half 
half sister of Auk and Dawncaller, another Goliath, and has issues with her parents, starting to kind of rebuild her relationship with her mom, but boy, hates her dad. Auk and Dawncaller is a Goliath who has who knows about the structure under the ice. Shadowhawk is a sorcerer with a symbiote in his head. He is, he now, and we'll, we'll talk about what happened in the last session and where we're in our strong start, which is we have a very good strong start today. Shadowhawk has a mind flayer symbiote in his head and is being hunted by a, by drow assassins known as the Knight's Kiss for slights that he committed when he was in Menzoberranzan. Gorwen Alcazar is a cleric of uh, the trickster god and runs Wan Alcazar and Associates, which is a trade group that operates in and around 10 towns on the Sword Coast. Perrin Fat Rabbit is a halfling who uh, survived being kidnapped by Mind Flayers when their ship crashed here and has family members, who friends and family members who were kidnapped and were not so lucky. Candle in the Dark is a tabaxi rogue who used to operate inside Skullport in, in Waterdeep and uh, is being hunted by assassins of the Xanathar. So we have two different groups of assassins that are coming after, after this group. So those are the characters. In the last game, let's take a look at the notes for the last game and see how things went. So we go to our old session notes. Go to the bottom of the list, look for the last Sunday. That was the 4th of July. It was a fun session. They were at the end of chapter one in this. The last thing they did is they were in the right at the end of the, the Unseen quest where they went to the Duergar fortress. They fought, this is where I ran a action-oriented Duergar Lord. And that worked really well. He was very scary. He teleported around. It worked really well. That those the, the dirty tricks for running a for running a Matt Colville style action-oriented monster uh, worked well for a single solo Duergar fighting a group of fourth level characters. They are now fifth level. I, they're, they're about one level higher than the book recommends because there's no way I can just slow down their level progression as slow as it is in the book. It's crazy. It's too 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 slow. So they dealt with Nildar. They returned to East Haven. They found, they, they, they know where the Lost Spire is. So this, this quest line is now open to them. They also, this quest is open to them as well, but they did not take it. And instead they decided to go to the, the, the It Ascendant, right? So they went back out and now they went to the It Ascendant to, to help Shadowhawk get the thing out of his head. Avarice, the white dragon, did in fact fly down and eat a Yeti. And that was really cool. And they were suitably frightened. I used the frightened thing. And then they said, even if I don't fail the saving throw, I choose to be frightened because they're like, it's an ancient white dragon. So that worked really well. Uh, that was a lot of fun. The secrets that we used, uh, the Knight's Kiss learn of Shadow's New Tale. But this did not happen. And I'm looking forward to this happening, that the Knight's Kiss learns about Shadowhawk's ability. That could be that could be neat. They learned that Nildar Sunblight. So I I, un, I checked off the ones that they had learned, right? And they learned a few of these, but not a lot. They learned that Nildar and Durth were sent to Ten Towns by Zardarok to gather shard on them to build a powerful weapon with which to destroy Ten Towns. They they learned that Zardarok has heard the voice of Deep Dura who wants Ten Towns destroyed. In reality, it's Oral. I don't know if they know that it's Oral, but they know about the Deep Dura one. Zardarok fears assassination by one or both of his sons. I don't think that came out. I'm not sure. I'll check it off. There are five members of the Arcane Brotherhood operating in Icewind Dale. Valish Gant was the first and is now in prison in Revel's End. We have Valish Gant, Janth Alwar, Dazan, Villain Harpel, and Avarice, right? They've met a couple of, Janth Alwar is now hanging out with them, but there are others. Valish Gant knows what lurks under the ice and how to get to it, all right? He's a source for keys. Valish claims to know how Oral has blotted out the sun. Uh, yeah, again, source for keys. Many believe the Arcane Brother is evil. In fact, they are, they see that one did not come out. The old ones, did, this, this one did not come out as well. So again, a little bit less than half of the keys came out or the half of the secrets came out. 
So, yeah, so they they basically finished up with the Duergar stuff. They went back to Ten Towns. They went to East Haven. They got the journals and everything else. So they've picked up the other quests. They know about these other quests. Then they said, let's go to the Descendant. They went to the Descendant. They got there. I don't, they did not have to fight the, they didn't have to fight the uh, Displacer Beasts, which works out because there's Displacer Beasts. In, in my version, there are Displacer Beasts wandering around the crashed Descendant. They went into the Descendant, they saw the pod, and then we had a stressful moment. Here's a, here's a, here's a lesson. Here's a, a good, valuable thing that, uh, an experience that occurred during my game that I almost completely screwed up. Luckily it went okay, but it was a good opportunity that I should have taken. So what happened is they went to the ship, Perrin, Fat Rabbit, realized this is a ship that he had been kidnapped in. And he's going, he's like getting more and more like, oh, this is, you know, they took me, they took my family. They, they like, they could be dead for all I know. I survived, but I'm out constantly dorked up. This place is terrible. And they went from pod to pod and they found like mind flayers and paled on things. And they found, you know, he found the bodies of like, you know, I think he found a couple of bodies of, of, of like friends of his that he knew from his town that got picked up. And then he went in and there's a chamber that is still intact, like a transformation chamber that's still intact as a big red thing. And Shadowhawk's character realizes, like, here's the voice of the Mind Flayer. It says, if you go in this, I can work with you. You know, if you if you try to betray me, I'll kill you, right? Because he has a natural Mind Flayer symbiote in his head, a real one, right? And and then, but the other player says, I'm going to destroy that thing, right? And he was going to, he, he was, and he said, like, and the players sometimes do this, right? A player will sometimes say, my character destroys it. I, I stab, I, 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 I hack at it with a sword or I cast this, I set the room on fire, right? With a produce flame. And they, they do an action that is going to have a strong change in the game. In this case, if they destroy this chamber, Shadowhawk's Mind Flayer symbiote cannot be controlled. And that could radically change Shadowhawk's character. And Sha Brian, Shadowhawk's player, said, please don't do that, right? Kind of saying both in a little bit in and a little out of character. Don't destroy it because, like, I need this thing. And, and Perrin's player was saying, my character hates this thing and wants to destroy it, right? And, and luckily, I, I, I basically said that the Mind Flayer, you know, it worked out in that the Mind Flayer symbiote that was in Shadow's head did a Mind Flayer stunning blast on the whole character group. They all failed their saves. They were all stunned. He pushed them out of the chamber, sealed the door, went into the chamber, did the thing, and made an agreement with the Mind Flayer symbiote that the symbiote will go dormant, still have the power there, but will be dormant and will not awaken, at least yet. And, and he said, we will live a long life together. Right, the Mind Flayer symbiote says, it's probably more useful for me to stay dormant in you than it is for me to turn you into a Mind Flayer. So... That's kind of interesting and sinister. And then the door opened and, and they're fine. And then Perrin went in and destroyed the thing, which means now there's no way to deal with it beyond that point. What I, so it worked out that all, both players got what they wanted, right? And, and I realized like I'm in this high tension thing. What I should have done is use the tool that I put in place and that I think works really well, which is the pause for a minute, right? Pause for a second. And, and the, the pause for a second tool is my verbal X card, right? And it doesn't have to be used just for disturbing, you know, just like I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the way a game is going right now. It can be used when it's time for all the players to step out of the game, step out of their characters for a minute, discuss what's happening in game from outside and decide upon a good reasonable course of action. And a good time to do that is when a player is about to make an action 
about to perform an action that's going to have a radical effect on either one of the other characters or the campaign or all of the characters, right? And if they're going to do, like, I'm going to destroy that powerful artifact. Maybe it's an artifact that had value. You could say, or I'm going to make a deal with this vampire lord, right? Pause for a second. Is everybody okay with their characters making the, you know, the, the, with the group making this deal or, is, or, you know, are people uncomfortable, right? And then we're not going to, not like bad uncomfortable, like let's talk about this out externally. Like we're a bunch of adults sitting around a table playing a game. Let's talk about it as a point of view of a bunch of adults sitting around a table playing a game until we get to the point where we're happy with it, where we want. And then we go back in game and let it happen. And so I could have said like, let's step out for a minute. It's, it's very possible this this tube in this chamber is the only way that Shadowhawk is going to be, deal, be able to deal with the Mind Flayer symbiote in its head. You know, do, do you, you know, how do we all feel about Perrin trying to destroy it? You know, and Perrin, can you, can you hold back in order to let Shadowhawk decide or let Brian decide what he wants to do with it, right? And then, you, you know, it, it, there's, it, it breaks away from the that's what my character would do problem, right? And it says like, I know what your character would do. I want you to do something, right? Like you as a player needs to do something. And I think that that is an important, you know, an important tool to have available is this break character, right? And I, I did use it last time because one of the things they have, I forgot to mention, is they managed to harness up the ogre zombie and use a pair of goats. We now have a new NPC. Let's go to our NPCs. You guys, you guys are going to love this. They took a pair of goats. They talked to the goats using animal handling or using uh, talk, speak with animals. And it turns out the goats are like, oh, yeah, we've been working with that ogre. Uh, the ogre is the Garrido and Garrida. Uh, so Sir Francis Kittredge is the name of the ogre zombie. Sir Francis Kittredge, the ogre zombie, they can hook up a cart to him. Then they have some goats that lead and they, they lead the goats and then the goats are leading the zombie and the zombie is pulling the cart. The zombie is trying to eat the goats. The zombie has no real teeth left. So for him to eat something takes him a long time. And the goats aren't really afraid of the zombie. They've actually been hanging out with the zombie a long time. So they're not, yeah, we're not worried about the zombie. So the goats just wander off wherever the goats wander. The zombie is basically a non-combatant, big, big, powerful thing. So they created this zombie cart that's led by goats, leading a zombie, pulling a cart, right? And I said, when they were figuring all this out, I did stop for a second. I said, let's pause for a second. Everybody cool? With the zombie goat cart, like any anybody worried about any part of this? And everyone, there, nope, we're all good. And I went, great, you got a zombie cart led by goats, right? And I tried to make sure, like, it's not terrorizing the goats. Like, the goats are like, yeah, we're cool. And the zombie's like, because it's just a big zombie, right? Like Ed from Shaun of the Dead, yes. So that was a good time to be able to say, let's pause for a minute, everybody cool with what we're doing. And you can do that for major character decisions that are occurring or major story decisions that are going on. If a character is doing something that's going to have a big effect, you can just hit the pause button, right? And say, we all cool with what we're doing here? And generally speaking, you want to have people feel that they've at least had their voices heard and negotiate before a major change is happening. I, I did it here for the goat zombie thing, which didn't really matter that much. And I didn't do it at the at a at a point where I really should have, which was the the destruction of the transformation tube in the descendant. And I should have. Luckily that worked out okay. Right? So now, oh, and so they they left the descendant. The players are like, what just happened? They just see Shadowhawk come out. Shadowhawk looks like Shadowhawk. He's all normal, but they know something happened to you. And he's like, yeah. And then they turn around and there's like eight small halfling sized zombies. I'm oh, sorry, eight small halfling sized mind flayers staring at them with silvery eyes, right? And that was where we began. And that was where we ended. And everyone's like, oh, what? 
So the strong start are the Fat Rabbit Mind Flayer family. Fat Bat Rabbit Mind Flayers. And they start off with, hello, brother. So that is a strong start. I think we will probably have fighting some fighting Displacer Beast. I think on their way out, the Displacer Beasts are going to jump them. We could have a travel to the Cackling Chasm. And then we have the Cackling Chasm. Return to the Ascendant. And then onward. Uh, we probably return to East Haven, right? And then they choose their next quests. And the next quests will be, what could they, you know, this is actually probably two sessions worth of stuff here. But it's helping me just get my head around, like, where are we headed, right? I'm not, I'm not thinking too far out. I'm just thinking enough that I have the information I need to give them the stuff they need today to know where it's going to go. So we have the Black Cabin. We have the Lost Spire. And what else? Is there another quest that I want to throw in front of them? I don't know. And I don't need to worry about it now. So I at least have those two quests are their next possible paths that they could take. But there could be a third, which could be Valish. Oh, well, yeah, there's Recon. Reconning Zardarok, right? So those are the, those are probably the next three quests uh, that we have in front of them. So what secrets and clues do I have today? There are two types of mind flares, the children and the old ones. The children aren't yet connected into the mind flare collective. They were left to die in the id, in the id ascendant by the old ones. I can't spell by the old ones. The old ones have ventured into the underdark to establish a colony and develop an elder brain. Right. What else? What are the other secrets? The id ascendant is a living ship mortally wounded. Its heart was taken by Jackass Knowles, who took it to the cackling. Right. The children want to repair the id ascendant and return and and leave and travel to the astral plane the far reaches of the astral plane before they get pulled into the collective there's some good secrets so those i think that covers a lot of the mind flayery sort of part of this i don't know that i need more there now i've got some null secrets right and one of the null secrets is that a null runt named what is his name so there's two gnolls i think i've got npc cards for these guys already let's find out go to my npcs oop there's Teklili is one and Ch chizka is another so we have the gnolls are starving and being led by a fang of Inigo named Chizuka. Chizuka. I guess I could just say led by Chizuka, Null Fang, and Vinigu. Chizuka kicked out a Null runt named Teklili. It the the the, the auto pull up NPC doesn't work if you don't know the name T E K. 
I should find it. Tech Lily. About two years ago, right? About two years ago. Tech Lily has returned a horrid fiend and killed roughly half of the gnolls of the chasm. The others he leaves to starve to death. It's his revenge. So what happened is he kicked out Tech Lili. Tech Lili went from being a null runt to being a null vampire. Shh. Lili came back and said, I'm so pissed off at you guys. I'm not even going to kill. I'm going to kill a bunch of you, but I'm going to starve you to death because I know that that's worse than anything else I could do to you. So Chizuka hopes the heart of the Ascendant is powerful enough to save them from Tech Lili. The other secret is that Tech Lili found a cave within which was a frozen, bleeding monstrosity. He drank from the pooled blood and became something horrible, a vampire. So that has the whole Tech Lili angle. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I need one more secret. So all of these secrets are about, oh yeah, big, talk about keys, right? Where are the keys? Tech Lili resides in a, in subterranean caves. I can't spell subterranean. Resided in subterranean caves known as the caves, caves, caves of hunger. Some, so how would they, you know, how would they know this? The caves supposedly lead down to a massive structure under the ice. Boom. Key, right? So where are the caves of hunger? Could be interesting. So that leads to the Caves of Hunger. The Caves of Hunger leads to Yethrin. So we've got like bang, 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 like big, big steps here. This, there's information from here that is valuable to the rest of the adventure. So one, one dirty trick is like, everyone's like, man, you just hammered out 10 secrets in like five minutes. And it's because I've run this part before. It's really, you want a you lazy tip? It's really easy to run an adventure when you ran it the week before. So I knew a lot of these secrets ahead of time because I've worked them out while I was doing my other group. So it's, it's a little bit like cheating. There are a lot of things in these secrets, by the way, that aren't in the book at all. The heart of the descendant isn't in the book. The idea that Chek Lili has a connection to Chizuka and those gnolls, I don't think is in the, all of those things, the, the old ones and the children, that's not in the book. All of these things I'm adding because I think they're cool and they tie to carry, they help me tie together the book because it's not tied together. Right? They help me draw these connections between things that are in the book. They also help me draw connections between things in the book and the characters. Like the children and the old ones has a good tie because, it can, you know, the It Ascended is cool because it has it has hooks for two characters. We have one character as in Mind Flayer symbiote in his head. We have another character whose family is kidnapped by Mind Flayers. We can connect those together and draw a lot that, that are, are going to have a fun effect for the characters. So fantastic locations. I mean, obviously the It Ascendant is a fantastic location. Another one is the Cackling Chasm, but we need one in between, right? We need a location that they can run into because I've got a scene that I want to drop in. I'll throw it up in the scenes. They fight to displacer beast. They travel to the Cackling Chasms. I want them to find Tech Lili's. I can't spell his stupid name. 
Kekalili. Slaughterfield. So I want him to, I want them to find a place where a boatload of gnolls were murdered viciously by one gnoll. And I want a cool location for that. So, and I really don't need, uh, this is really the only one I need. So we're going to look at my monuments list and take a look. Frozen Obsidian Barrow of Gond. This could be interesting. So I don't know about an Obsidian Barrow. Yeah, maybe. Like, what would that be like? What would an Obsidian Barrow be like? I like a barrow. It's kind of cool. Like, it could be a barrow of, like, an old barrow of one of the tribes. We'll do the tribe of the elk, right? So I'm going to do, does, does Obsidian make sense? Could it be obsidian with volcanic? It could be made out of old pieces of, like it could be a Chardalon barrow. That would be kind of interesting. We'll do the tribe of the elk. I think we could do that. Like these large spires that kind of surround it. The problem with like obsidian, you know, we could have the Netherese metal, but I don't know. So let's look about the tribe of the elk though. Cause we might, we might want some history about the tribe of the elk. So we'll go here. I think probably storm Kings. Let's see. I want a compendium elk and tiger elk tribe. This is from Rhyme of the frost man. Elk there's elk tribe stuff here. Elk, elk and tiger elk tribe escort several hours before the party with 10 tribal warriors. I want to learn something about like what makes the tribe of the elk different. Tribe of the Elk is learning to live in peace with the more civilized people of 10 towns. So that's that's probably a, a good secret, right? We can kind of drop that in. That didn't, just a little, we just want a little something to add a little bit of flavor to the Tribe of the Elk. So we've got that. So the Frozen Obsidian Barrow of the Tribe of the Elk is where the characters are going to see the slaughter field of Teklili having killed, having killed a whole bunch of gnolls. And that, that gets us some fun secrets and clues. There's lots of like investigation they could do there. So NPCs, this is a good, this is a good, I got a, I got a problem here. I think Perrin told me, let's take a look at Perrin's. I think I put it in Perrin's page. Uh, Simon Fat Rabbit is, is his brother, right? So we definitely, we have Perrin's brother, now a Mind Flare. That's a good one. We need a, how about a null NPC, Chip Fang? Noel Runt, starving Noel, who happened to learn a little common. Right? That's good. Monsters. I got bugs. Go away, bug. Monsters. I'm seeing if I got more bugs coming in. Uh, Monsters. We have displacer beasts. Those are fun. I think I might do three of them because two is two. Let's take a look. Let's do some fun. So I have six fifth level characters. They are now fifth, which means the encounter benchmark. We can do this in the notes, right? So let's say deadly, the deadly encounter benchmark. So we have six fifth level characters. That's 30. The deadly encounter benchmark is now 15. It went up, right? So the deadly encounter benchmark is the point at which an encounter may become deadly. And it may become deadly if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is higher than the sum total of half the character levels when they hit fifth and they have hit fifth. So six, that's 15 is pretty high, but fifth level is actually pretty powerful. So let's look at displacer beasts. We have monsters. Oh, come on. I guess it's because it's one beast, displacer beast. They are three. So we could have five displacer beasts it would be deadly. So we probably don't want it to be deadly. So we'll probably go to four, right? Four displacer beasts. 
basically like one fewer, well, I don't know, not quite one fewer than the, than the other one. But we can set that up on our encounters and we're gonna do this for manage the characters, manage the characters. And we unhide and we unhide. Only some of them up to up to fifth. And one of those is my my template, so I'll have to, that means the average party level is not correct, but whatever. And displacer beasts, and we add pink, and we'll add four is hard, five is deadly. So if you look at my encounter benchmark, it was exactly on, right? It tells me exactly what it is. So we're gonna do four displacer beasts. I think that will be enough. Uh, they also start invisible. So they actually have a, they, they have, save our encounter. Yeah, and we're we're all good. So yeah, let's grab that and we'll paste that in. And you can just go boop. And now we've got that set. I see in chat, somebody is asking, uh, what was Mike's proposed deadly encounter benchmark calculation for tiers three and four? I talked about it. Yes, so increase it again. So three quarters of character level for level 11 to 16 and for 17 plus, it's equal to. So it's one quarter, you can think of it like a quarter of character level at tier one, half of character level at tier two, three quarters of character level at tier three, and equal to a tier four. That's pretty loose. Like, you know, have I tested that thoroughly? No, but it feels right. Like if you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's probably about right. Given the power, given the power that characters have, I, I would not be surprised if that were the case. I think you could scale up a tier three and tier four to that to that degree. Of course, not, you know, fewer people are playing at tier three and tier four. So you don't, you kind of don't need to remember that too hard. I think you remember the key to the benchmark, right? It's a loose gauge, very loose gauge. That doesn't mean that's exactly how it's going to work. It is not, it doesn't solve and counterbalance. It's just easier than checking out a bunch of tables, right? And you know, if you've got the encounter builder, you can just use the encounter builder. It's fine too. But I, I want one that I can keep in the back of my head so I don't have to depend upon a digital tool in order to uh, figure out whether or not an encounter is going to be deadly. And the the one quarter or half, if they're above fifth level, works works well. I got a bug again. Bugs. So where were we? So I have displacer beasts. Uh, and of course we have gnolls. Uh, we have, so there's a bunch of different kinds of gnolls. Knoll witherlings are really cool. There's a bunch of gnolls in, I think it's, is this Volos? Yeah, Volos has a bunch of gnolls and gnoll witherlings are a good one. And the cool bit here is like the idea that the gnolls are starving and they've started eating each other, which means only the strong are surviving and the remainder are turning into, yeah, and it's right in the story, right? When they when they they, they can't control their hun hunger and they fight among themselves, the survivors devour the flesh of the slain and the the, 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 the rituals invoked by Yinigu brings them back into witherlings. So we can have piles of witherlings, could be pretty cool. In fact, we might, maybe we'll throw, maybe the gnolls that are, a bunch of the gnolls that are slain around the uh, totem, could be null witherlings. That might be kind of, if we if we feel like we need a fight. The thing is with the displacer beast fight right before it, I don't know if we feel like we need one. So we have null witherlings. Then there's there's like big ass null. Is it flesh gnars? So null flesh gnars are kind of bigger bigger gnolls, right? Like a regular a regular null. Let's take a look at a regular null. It's like a CR, is that one quarter? It's a CR one half, 22 hit points, no attacks. The other one, this the null... Fleshnar still only has 22 hit points. That's weird. Why does it have 22? So, but we can throw some Fleshnars and we can we can bump up their hit points if we want. And then we have uh, a Null Fang and Yinagu, right? Which are the beefier Nulls. Right, and there's challenge rating four. So we'll do a Fang and Yinagu. So we got that. Man, bugs. 
Treasure. It might be fun to, so we can always throw in a relic, right? Relics are great. Freezing Sphere of Denier that casts Blink. We could do something else that casts Blink, right? Like a Mind Flayery sort of option. It'll be a cool Illithid artifact. A Freezing Sphere, Smooth Music Box, Fork Rod, Jewel Box, Ink Pen, Plain Feather, Glyph Statuette. Uh, small Mirror might be cool, right? Uh, small Mirror of the Illithids that casts Blink once, right? You can cast a Blink spell. Uh, one time. That's kind of a fun treasure. We might also, let's see, go to my treasure generator. And they are now 5th to 10th. So they get some beefier, beefier stuff. Plus one arrows. I don't know. Pearl of power would be really good. Where would they find a pearl of power? Who would, who would have that? The, the, the it ascendant, the heart of the it ascendant could, could kind of spit one out. Right, a tiny little heart of the ascendant that's a pearl of power might be kind of a cool, a cool thing. And any of the spellcasters could use it. Periapt of wound closure. That's kind of a cool. What does that do? That's good. Well, there was a pearl of power in the Furby Glare. Could someone have plundered it? That's a good question. I, I should check and make sure that somebody doesn't already have one. You stabilize whenever you are dying at the start of your turn. In addition, whenever you roll a hit die to begin hit points, double the number of hit points it restores. That's crazy. That's really good. Like your your hit dice. That's kind of a, it's a powerful item. I'll put that down there. Is there any opportunity for, for money here? I mean, it's not like the gnolls are sitting on a bunch of money. They don't care about treasure, right? Maybe they, they hit like a merchant. It, it'd be kind of interesting if they found like a dead merchant. You know, if they found a, if the gnolls had like jumped at some mer a merchant who was trying to escape, who was trying to escape and they'd like, they ate him real fast and then they threw all his junk in like the bottom of the refuse pit. That might be kind of a fun, uh, a fun way to go. So that way they can get some some cash, right? They don't really get a lot of money, and it's a lot: two thousand gold, eighty platinum, five thousand silver, three thousand copper. You know, thirty three hundred gold pieces. That seems like more than no, that's about right, I guess. Right, that's a lot of money. Uh, plus 100 gold pieces and like cloth vestments and a carved bone statue. Yeah, rich merchant, right? He, so a merchant left 10 towns maybe a year ago, tried to tried to escape over the spine of the world, didn't make it, got eaten by gnolls. The gnolls ate him and threw all his crap in the corner because they don't really care. And maybe it's like a cracked chest at the bottom of the gorge. So that all works. Yeah, so I didn't talk about that. Uh, we'll just do a quick because I already know it but it probably helps for this video if I at least talk about what the lair is like. So we're gonna do the Cackling Chasm, right? And a tale of null betrayal, mostly that the, 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 the gnolls are sort of getting disenfranchised with Chizuka, but he's still the most powerful gnoll. That's fine. I'm, I'm throwing in the whole angle that he's connected to the other null because what are the odds you have two different nulls? The, the map is kind of cool for this. There's different ways to get around. There's sort of different chambers. There's a prison here. And one of the things that we could have here is that family members of uh, Perrin could be trapped in these cages in Z8. They can find some nulls doing a ritual in Z3. They can figure out how to get over the gorge. As they go over the gorge, they might see at the bottom is where like a an entire horse's cart has been thrown and they can see piles of gold and jewels down there and not to figure out if they want to get it. Z5 has a bunch of gnolls are where most of the gnolls are. And also in Z8 will be a barbarian tribesman. Maybe, maybe it'll be, what if it was a Goliath instead? What if we had another Goliath that knew, you know, that knew Aachen, 
right? I think we're going to do that. So let's let's come up with a new NPC and we'll come up with a, do we have Goliath? Uh, let's look up Goliaths, right? And we'll go to races Goliaths. This is, I forget what this is in. Goliath names. And we will say Orlo, Orlo Skywatcher. Ith, uh Barbarian trapped by the gnolls embedded with Shardalon. So he's going crazy because he's got Shardalon, like he's done like body modifications. So he's got like ridge over his head and some other things, but he did it with Shardalon and it's been slowly driving him, you know, it's been driving him crazier and crazier. And now I think once he goes into a blood rage, he can't control who he attacks and the party will have to figure that out. So we'll replace the other Regged tribe person with a Goliath uh, that is known to Auken. That'll be a fun thing. That way we're kind of tying back to the characters. So what else? Yeah, so that will take place in Z8. And so this is not a particularly long, this is like a one session adventure kinda. It's it's one to two sessions to handle this. And then they can and then they can move along with with the rest of their their event. And the nice thing was this is they can learn things here. Uh, there's no direct keys here that there's no direct keys here that can lead to other things. Maybe they can learn about the entrance. This this could be one key they could learn from here is the entrance to the um, Caves of Hunger. So now they know the location of the Caves of Hunger and then they have to figure out how to get in it, which is a whole other problem. So I think we are all set. So we're going to call our our show here today to an, we're gonna we're gonna call it a day. So I want to thank everybody for hanging out today. It is always a great pleasure to hang out on Twitch and go through my steps from Return to Lazy Dungeon Master and to prep with you guys and to get your feedback and hear about all your stuff. Always a great pleasure. I want to thank you all for coming. For those of you watching on YouTube, thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this show, if you're listening or listening on the podcast. Hi, Michael. If you want to help support the show, you can do so in four different ways. One, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter and get a new email sent to your inbox with a, with a DM tip. Uh, this week, you'll be getting uh, the guide for running Rhyme of the Frostmater chapter one. You can, you'll get it every Tuesday. So you, you can sign up to the Sly Flourish newsletter. The link for that is below. You can uh, support me on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and signing up. You can also subscribe to me either on the podcast or on YouTube, or you can pick up any of my books, but in particular, you would probably enjoy Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DMs workbook. So thank you all very much for coming and have a great day and we'll see you next week.